0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Honest AF with me, Daniela Clark. And me,
1: Barbara Ann Wild.
0: Hi, Barb. Hi, Daniela. So, we are so excited because, well, first of all, it's like 9 a.m., so in in L.A. time, and our guest is in the U.K., so it is very early for us to be talking about this subject, but today we are so (laughs) excited because we have a very special guest all the way from the U.K. We have Tracy Cox, who is an author of a book called Great Sex Starts at 50, and a sex expert. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to be speaking to you, even though it's really early to be talking about sex. Although, according to you, morning <laughs> is a, a good time for sex.
2: Any is a good time for sex.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Barb is going to uh, start our little chat. You know, it's so funny.
1: Daniela had heard you on Caroline Stansbury's podcast. And she said, let's see if we can get her as a guest. And I thought, oh, this is so up my alley. And I downloaded your book yesterday because I know your book, which is Great Sex Begins at 50. Mm. Um, I downloaded your book through Google yesterday because um, it just launched in the US, correct?
2: Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's been out in the UK for a while now. But um, yeah, it's just um, it was on February 2. So only a couple of days ago.
1: Right. So I did order some hard copies that are getting sent to me through Barnes & Noble, but I have to say that I've basically read the entire book in a, you know, in quite a few hours last night. And it's, it's so amazing. And thank you for writing this book, because there is nothing out there that addresses these important issues. Because Danielle and I, part of the reason we do this podcast is because of, um, you know, trying to battle aging mentally, physically, sexually after 50. And I found there aren't many places to go for this information. And um, thank you for for doing this because it's it's your 17th book and you're an expert. But wow, I mean... There were so many things in there that I didn't know, and maybe you want to talk about why you feel like you needed to write the book.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because I was thinking then what you're saying about women, um, not, that, not that, you know, oh, I'm start again. that there's not that much out there for women over 50. What there is, is there's tons, all of a sudden there is tons and tons of menopause stuff, but not very much of anything else other than that. Which is kind of interesting that everybody's just now focusing on that. It used to be that we would, didn't talk about the menopause. Now we talk about nothing else but the menopause. And <laughs> it's, it's much the other way. And I, as you said, I've written six, well, I'd written 16 books at that point. And also, I was a bit like publishers always want, general sex books. And I was a little bit like, God, what else? How many times can you describe how to give oral sex or a handjob or something? I mean, I really can't do that again. And then I turned 50. Actually, it was a bit before 50. And suddenly it was like, oh my God, I do have lots to say because my sex drive pre-50 and, and post-50 is completely different. And it really is a very, very different type of sex that you're going to have post-50. And I thought, well, hell, you know, I honestly thought I was going to be immune to it because I thought I've written all these books, I've got a high sex drive, I'm going to be fine. And I wasn't fine. And I thought, well, God, if I'm struggling, then lots of other people will be as well. And I wanted it to be a really positive book, but like my other books, very practical, um, very, you know, with you know, to reassure and entertain a little bit, and also um, just to have lots of practical stuff that you could go, oh, yeah, that's right. She said to do that. I can go back in and have a look at this.
1: Yeah, I love the fact that you're realistic, because I tend to not be, and but you're also optimistic and hopeful. And I have a very similar experience. I had never had painful or um, horrible periods. I never really pms and my moods are pretty even-keeled. And my libido was through the roof. And then I'm postmenopausal since I'm since about 2017. And same thing. My only real issue has been my libido waning. And I've been researching it any way I can because I'm I'm a little bit afraid of HRT. And you do talk about them quite a bit in the book. And so you're a proponent of them if it's okay for you medically, correct?
2: I am probably because I think that the research on HRT was very unfair in the beginning. You know, the, the bit that put everybody off was um, on a, based on a sample that was so small that it should never really have been released. And yet everybody sort of grabbed onto that. It's like, oh, it's bad, it causes cancer. Now, certainly if you have any sort of cancer um you know, risk at all, you can't use it, you know, there are lots of people who really cannot use it. But otherwise, there are so many ways now to use it very safely, like they, they you know, most people now don't use tablets, they actually use a gel or, you know, a pessary or something like that. So which is a hell of a lot um, less, um, less dangerous for you. So and I just had such good results with it. So I do sort of if you can do it, I think something like an oestrogen gel, or so, or or actually even if you can't really take HRT, the thing that changed it most for me it was. Um, oestrogen um, pessaries which you insert and almost everybody can use those and that was a big thing because it was like wow I've, I've got my vagina back again <laughs> so it just suddenly felt young again and that and so lots of people can use those but the books not, not so much even if you, you you know some people are morally against taking HRT but it's not just HRT it's all about attitude and finding solutions that's what it's all about if you don't like the idea of HRT there are lots of other you know, alternatives and ways around it. What I don't want people to do is to get the horrible menopause symptoms and go, well, that's it. You know, this is my lot now. This is what I'm going to put up with and then just put up with it because you don't have to put up with it at all.
1: Yeah, I think that that was really important too that you're talking about the differences of what um, your experience had been like when you've tried testosterone, when you've tried um, HRT, um, you talk about a bunch of different Um, options and that, you know, there are options. The one, one of the things that I didn't know, and I found so fascinating in your book was how you were saying, you know, so much of sex after 50 or our libido or, you know, obviously it's hormones, but there is so much of it is mental. And I thought that makes so much sense because if you're in a new relationship, and you're over 50, if you're, you know, you you kick your husband to the curb, and you're, you know, dating like Caroline, some hot, yes. you know, 20 years younger man, I'm not so sure that you're having as much trouble in that honeymoon period as you are um, in, in a long term relationship or, um, and, and I thought, wow, so, so much of it is mental. And you address that in the book. And, no one has done that for me. I mean, I haven't been able to
2: find that anywhere. Well, that's fantastic. And it, um, thank you for saying that. And it and it, it is. I, I did laugh when I did that um, podcast with Caroline. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. As if you could have libido problems when you're um, shagging him, honestly. Um, exactly right. <laughs> but... <laughs> And her we pregnancy. should we should
0: actually mention that your book is called Great Sex Starts at Fifty.
2: Yes, I was going to correct you on that. It's, not, um, it's yep. not Great Sex Begins at Fifty. It starts at fifty. But yes, I mean the honeymoon period is a wonderful thing because, and it's not just attitude though. It does it does cause all those hormones to release the love and sex hormones. They all re release when you meet somebody new, and then they drop off again post eight post after about eighteen months normally. So if you suddenly are over fifty and ditch your husband and meet somebody new. Yes, you (laughs) are going to be having a better time of it. Um, It's hardest, I think, of all, for people in long-term relationships because it's hard for anyone, whether you're over 50 or not, to still fancy your partner when you've been with them for a long, long time. And I don't know if you've heard um, any of Esther Perel's um, podcasts about the fact, she talks about the Belgian um, psychotherapist, where she talks about how love and sex are two completely opposing forces in our body. We think that they go together. Well, they don't, because what you need for sex is forbiddenness and anxiety and you know, separateness and eroticism. And what you need for love is contentment and security and you know, feeling all safe and warm. And so what happens with most couples, particularly couples who get on well is that the, they choose, the love takes over the sex. So you become, you, it becomes, it's that it's that sibling effect where you feel like you're having sex with your brother or sister because you've got mm-hmm. no separateness. But it's very, very, very hard to fix because, you know, the relationships that have the best sex long-term are usually the worst relationships where they're roller coaster and up and down. And the couples who are the closest often suffer the most. So that's something that I address in the book that hits you whether you're 50 or not. But it's particularly hard if you've been together for a long, long time.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Yeah, that is so true. And it brings me to one of the pieces of advice that my mother always gave me is you always need a few men. You can't settle (laughs) for one. (laughs) You need one for love,
2: one for sex. (laughs) Well, many many French women would agree with you on that and French. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, we probably do if we weren't I don't know whether monogamy is the monogamy works really well for love. I think if you're, if you're the right sort of person, but I don't think it works terribly well for sex. And I think that, um, but the alternative is then admitting that you're, I mean, I, I don't intellectually, I can see how sharing my husband and us going to sex parties and stuff would be absolutely fantastic for us sexually, but emotionally, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So, it's trying to find somewhere in between where you're pushing yourselves out of your comfort zones, but not so much that you destroy the other part of the, you know, you destroy the relationship because both have to survive together. Um, but it is, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's such an effort and it's all about laziness because we're, are you in lockdown? where you are, aren't you? We're both
1: married for a long time to musicians. So, you know, one of the things you talk about in the book is separation and how separation can really spice things up. And I thought, yeah, that you, I think that that's why Danielle and I have both been with our husbands for 30, well, 30 plus years and married for almost 30 years, both of us. Um, But, you know, being musicians, they're always away and touring and and we get that separation. So it keeps it exciting but covid and it has it really, really thrown a wrench in it
2: yeah i bet it has but i tell you what you'd have the anxiety because you're both married to people who were idolized they would have yeah. get sex very easily so you've yes. also got that edge of you know that that's probably not a nice feeling to live with but sexually and erotically it's the, the best thing you could ever have
0: really a lot of people ask us that. They ask us, you know, what is your secret? Because the combination of Barb and I, we realized this the other day, we've been married for 70 years. But, <laughs> but um, people are always asking us, what is your secret sauce? And it really is because it, it, it's a combination of the fact that what they do for a living, you know, they stay pretty desirable because they're, you know, they're, they're wanted by other women constantly. Yes. And we're not always together. You know, we uh, we have a lot of distance between us. And so I think that, you know, you get to that point where you miss each other and you want to see each other. And then and you get to have tons of like, you know, vacation sex, which people only have once in a great while. We're always yeah. on vacation sex
2: mode. But then COVID's put the, the coppers on that, has it? Yes, oh. it has. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, it has. It's difficult in COVID because you, you can't have your partner around 24-7 you know how well you get on with them. I mean, it's just—it's just you've got no excitement, and and also because you're not dressing up to go out. You know, I mean, I'm wearing the same old stuff. Honestly, the same right. jeans, same shoes. <laughs> and you just want to put on some heels and feel sexy and go out and 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 also be admired by the people. You know, if you go out and right. looks, you come home, and you're like, yeah, I'm hot. I'm good. It. Exactly. <laughs> I
1: thought that was so interesting in your book too, how you say you need to look at your partner the way other people see them and you might see them in a different way. And I thought, ooh, that really is appealing to me and Daniela because the way other people see our husbands is like, you know, with rose-colored glasses and or sunglasses, actually, they're rock stars. But I'm going to use that advice. So I'm going to start to try and look at him Unlike the dog walker, um, you know, garbage taker outer man that he has become, I am going to try and start looking at him like the way some of his uh, fans look at him.
2: Yeah, it's a really, it is a really good piece of advice. And this is what happens, of course, with affairs. You know, when one partner has an affair, suddenly... The complacent, you know, like when most affairs happen, a lot of affairs happen, not all, but I mean, a lot of affairs happen in long term relationships simply because we get complacent about each other. And an mm-hmm. affair shakes things up where you think, oh my God, that's right. Look at him, you know, look at her. Look how great and attractive they are. Look at, you know, no wonder somebody wants them. And it's a shame that it takes something like that to shock couples into the realization that they go you know, nothing riles me more than when people say to me, oh, you know, so-and-so, he'll never cheat on me, you know, absolutely, 100%. And I think, God, that's awful to think like that, that your partner, you know, is so – I don't consider it a compliment. Like, I would never say that about my husband. I think he's the least likely person to cheat. But I never, ever think that he's not going to find somebody else attractive. That's just crazy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always operated on quite the opposite. They're all going to cheat. <laughs> Every single one of them is going to cheat. They're only about as faithful as their opportunities. <laughs>
2: yeah. What would you do if you did find out? Cause I, would you want to know or not?
0: I wouldn't want to know, no. I'm from the same school of thought as you where I don't really think it's natural to be with one person this long. And I highly doubt that he has been with one person this long. Um, I just don't want to know about it. And that's not by any means a license to cheat. I just don't think that it's natural mm. to be with one person forever. I, I just, you know, I wouldn't oh, be. I, I'll put it this way: I wouldn't be surprised.
2: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because when when I was growing up, my dad, when I was about fifteen, my dad confessed that he'd been having an affair for ten years with another woman, and he wow. left, left us and um, stayed with her, and it left us all with these awful jealousy problems. And I mean, I was horrendous. I ended up in therapy and all sorts trying to deal with it. And um, and I remember my first marriage, and I remember going to see because I was really, really having troubles with jealousy. Went to see this worldwide jealousy expert. I interviewed him for something, and and him saying to me, right? So picture this scenario: you're you're at a party, and you go down the back, and you see your husband kissing. You know, you're at a party with an old his old ex, and you just see them having this rather sweet little kiss down the back. What would you do? And I was absolutely, well, of course, I'd leave the relationship, I'd leave the marriage, that would be it, and and argued and went, honestly, even the thought of it made me incensed. And he kind of said, well, don't you think that's a bit silly? You know, nothing has actually happened really. It was just for old time's sake and all that sort of stuff. And, and I was adamant, no, the marriage would be chucked in. You could see him thinking, Christ, I've got my work cut out here. And, um, but now I think, wow. How stupid, you know, why would you throw away, you know, say I stayed married to him and had kids and why would you throw away all that just for one moment of of bad judgment? It's not worth it.
1: I'm not with you ladies on this one. We're apart so often and our relationship is in a situation where if I couldn't trust him, there is no way I could stay. There is just no way in the world. And I'm not saying saying that he would never cheat because... You can never say never about anything, but I don't I don't think I could handle it.
0: Yeah, I don't know that I could handle it either. I mean, if
2: I found out, I don't think I could handle yeah, it. Yeah, I couldn't handle it if I found out. And I don't think yeah. about trust. I think it's about accepting that maybe mistakes will be made. I could never go out with somebody I didn't trust, so I completely trust my husband. But I also recognize that he's human. Do you think that a marriage could survive that if you found out your spouse was cheating? I wouldn't be able to. Like I said, if I found out, I would be useless. I wouldn't be able to survive it at all. But yes, I have seen relationships survive.
0: Well, you're a sex expert. So <laughs> if, if, if he's cheating
2: on you, we're all hopeless. Exactly right. <laughs> I'm a lazy sex therapist. It's the same as everything. People always say, are you like fantastic in bed? And I, I live in fear that someday someone's going to come along hopefully I'll just stay with my husband now and it'll never happen but but I always think <laughs> that somebody's going to go and say she was absolutely rubbish she was absolutely rubbish in bed she was used to it I have been lazy being thrown at me a few times like I, I think I'm a lie back and you can do all the work type person but um <laughs> it's quite funny um being doing what I do it is quite interesting how people react to you.
0: Oh, I'm sure. And you're beautiful. So I'm sure you're you're probably getting your fair share of uh, proposals over here.
2: Oh, that's very nice of you. I think you look at lovely airbrushed pictures. But um, what I do have in my house, though, is is a big bookshelf that's got all the copies of my books in all different countries because they're in about 20 different languages and stuff. And I also do two sex toy ranges with Love Honey. So I have a few products that that are there. And my girlfriends used to come over and just stand in front of it and say, when I was single and just go, Oh my God, can you imagine a guy coming home to your place and just standing in front of this wall? And she nicknamed it the wall of station that they'd start, that if they'd walk in all, oh, you know, thinking this is going to be great. And, they, Look at that. and everything would just go down very quickly. Oh, very intimidating. I mean, I would hate to sleep with me. I think it would be awful. I'd hate to sleep with the equivalent of me. I, I would feel really, really under pressure. But yeah, without it judged. Yeah. I'm sure your husband's a brave
0: man. He must be quite the expert himself really? to pull one over on you. <laughs> I think, I think he
2: really, I think what happened was I don't think he realized really and he, he kind of knew who I was but he didn't really. And I didn't push it. And then by the time he did, he was like, "Oh my god. I'm so glad I didn't know that at the start." So um, how, that was how it was. But he gets asked all the time. And i, I that is he hysterical. Made, he made a joke at our wedding and he said she doesn't bring her work home with her. And I thought that was not very nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is great. Um, the, that's hilarious. So I have a question. So since the book is called Great Sex Starts at 50, mm-hmm. What is it about 50 that you think is different
2: sexually that that makes sex great? I think you're different at 50. I think you you sort of get your shit together really and you're much more confident. Mm-hmm. And you're less people-pleasing. And I think that that is something that women really suffer from and which doesn't do you any favors at all in the bedroom. And I think that that is what happens in the case of women um, that we were talking about before, that suddenly get to the age of 50, have been in a marriage that probably wasn't that great and have gone, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm off. This is my time. And then that time around with sex, they're very, you know, like, this is what I need. This is what I want. I'm gonna try all the things that I never was going to try before because now I've got the confidence. So I think it can happen like that, that the people pleasing confidence thing um, settles in. But with a long term partner or even if you know, not with a long term partner, I also think that sex often moves from his penis being the star and penetration being the sort of main event to much more. A sort of a less destination focus it's more there's lots more foreplay you know because often men struggle with erections and some of them don't want to use viagra um for women, sex can become quite painful and it just moves into a different type of sex it it tends to be focused more on yeah more on oral sex more on doing sexy things together more sensual a lot more touching less sort of performance based less pressure on each other um Mm -hmm. and I mean, for women particularly and for men, because, you know, men also like extended foreplay as well, that tends to be a much more satisfying kind of sex.
0: Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I don't know about you, Barb, but for me, like just being older and knowing what you want and definitely it, it is a little bit more of a selfish time. And you really learn how to communicate more. I think maybe when you're younger, you're a little shy about it. I
1: think so. I mean, one of the things that you talk about in your book is how you had such a a libido that was on overdrive. And then as you got older, it kind of changed. And for me and my husband, my husband's a lot of talk and he's, you know, 24 seven talking about sex, but he is more like a Mr. Roper and has had always had a lower a sex drive than I had. And it used to be a lot for him to keep up with me. And now it seems like we're more on an even keel that way. And so it's, it's been a lot more, um, I mean, it's always been off the charts for the two of us, we both, you know, we're experimental. We've taken opportunities of bullet trains and fun houses mm-hmm. and all kinds of interesting, fun things. Sex toys have been, my husband calls them marital aids. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been in our, in our repertoire forever. So yes. it hasn't been so much communicating that way but it's changed in far as far as our rhythm and I think that that it's kind of probably a good thing for me to be a little more subdued than I used to be
2: <laughs> so is he older than you or younger than you yeah. uh, we're exactly well he's a
1: year and a half older than me oh, okay. um, but we're we we grew up together yeah we've been together since I'm 16 years old but uh, wow. you know he's definitely had a lower temperature than I do and now mine's kind of gone down to his a little bit and it's neither of us are complaining.
2: No, I think it's nice of it. I mean, you're very lucky if it, if your sex drives can sort of become compatible. And, and I think that's half the secret, isn't it? It's not so much whether you're having loads of sex or whether you're not having very much sex. It's all about what makes you happy. And that was one thing that I wanted to you know really emphasize in the book is that whole thing about find your normal. Just don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Find your normal, even though there are lots of health benefits to having regular sex. And that's the the one thing. If you really want to guarantee that you're going to be having good sex later and later and later on in life, have regular sex. That's one of the best things you can do. But then if, if regular sex for you is once a month, once every three months, twice a year, if that's what the two of you enjoy and that's all that matters, really. It really is. You shouldn't compare yourself to other people. I have a lot of girlfriends and I
0: hear this a lot that are just not having sex at all. You know, there's a lot of girls out there that are saying their husbands are just, you know, they don't touch them. Um, Some have sex, you know, once every six months, some don't have sex for you, haven't had sex in years. And I'm like, how do you stay in that relationship?
2: Well, what I found absolutely gobsmacking when I was researching this book is the amount of my friends who are close couple friends, so I know them very, very well, who've sort of quietly stopped having sex and haven't talked about them. And they uh-huh. have everything else. They are so close. And I was like, well, haven't you at least had a conversation? She's, and they all, you know, both, both the men and the women are like, well, no, you know, it's a bit awkward. And it's like, well, it's going to be really awkward soon if you don't talk about it. And generally for him, it's because he's having erectile problems and feels embarrassed, so he'll just quietly then take that off and just have sex with himself watching porn. And for her, it tends to be, you know, get a bit bored because long-term relationships, but also sex becomes a bit painful, too embarrassed to admit that. And before you know it, it's been not only a week, a month, two months, three months, and suddenly it's the big elephant in the room and it never gets mentioned. And, you know, there is nothing wrong. If you decide as a couple to to, um, have, you know, to decide that you don't want to have sex anymore and you both agree on that, that's fine. Um, but you can't just stop having sex and not talk about it. That really isn't good for your relationship because what happens then is that affection stops because both of you are too scared to be too intimate and, you know, and mm-hmm. playful and touch each other in other ways because you're thinking, well, God, this could lead to sex and I don't, I don't know how to deal with that. So affection stops as well when you don't talk about it. And then you, what have you got left then? If you've got no sex no mm-hmm. affection, that's not even friends. That's just mm-hmm. a bad relationship. yeah without a doubt so
0: what can people do if they're in in that situation just talk about it you have to have the
2: conversation you just there's no way around it you have to just say to your partner look um I absolutely love you but I'm really concerned about the fact that we haven't had sex for x amount of time and I'd really like to talk about it because I really miss it just, just mm-hmm. now. Depending on who was the one, I mean, generally that tends to come from the person who didn't want the sex to stop, rather than the person who did. Um, so the person who, you know, they don't be surprised if they go stomping off. They're really angry or embarrassed, or just say, "I'm not dealing with this," and then run off. But let them do that, and then just approach it again a little bit longer. and And it might take a while to get them to break down, but then they will talk to you. And this is the clincher, you see, is that if. your partner then turns around to you and says yeah you know it's erection problems and how can we solve this great or even says look I'm really not interested in sex anymore but how can I look after you sexually and do we want to talk about some alternatives that's okay but it's when you get relationships where the partner says no I'm not interested and by the way you still have to stay faithful to me and I'm not going to do anything to give you sexual pleasure at all (sighs) I mean, and people do say that it's like, how dare you when you, when wow. you somebody that you make a, a pact, don't you, that you're going to look after each other in all sorts of ways, right? And I don't think that's on because even if you don't want to have sex yourself, you can pleasure your partner, you can watch them masturbate, you can use a sex toy on them, you can do all sorts of things, or, yeah, or give they them- can get a lover, yeah, you yeah, <laughs> give them permission to have a lover, um, yeah, but. Yeah, it's very, but it was an interesting chapter running the one about sexist relationships because I so, I understand, and lots of couples, you know, who maybe been together forever and had loads of sex and just go, you know what, I've had enough of that now. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) As well, you know, I do really get it, but you've got to have a conversation. You, You must.
0: Yeah. I, I think that that's key. And that's always the most difficult thing is to actually chat about it, I think, for a lot of people. Because, you know, you're right. People do get shy about it or they're embarrassed or, you know, the, I know that that's the the main thing when I talk to some of my friends is when they're having issues like that, when they're not getting sex, I'm like, well, do you talk about it? They're like, oh, no, he doesn't want to discuss it. He's, you know,
2: embarrassed. I'm like, mm-hmm. shit, you, you have to get a lover you got to do something <laughs> yeah and it'll be erection problems it nearly always is with men and I don't know, uh-huh. when I was running that chapter about um you know men um how you to have hot sex without an erection um it was just extraordinary because the you I could not get it through to men that you can have sex without an erect penis they just could not get their heads around that, and one of my sex therapist friends, she always says, "Sex for men is sticking their penis in something. That's all, all it is. That's what how they think of sex." And <laughs> they couldn't, and they were like, "But, but," and I said, "Well, you can have an orgasm without having an erect penis. You don't need an erect penis, especially if you're just going to have an old sex session or something." But no, I can't. I, it, they just the thought of it is like, "Well, how will she desire me?" And it's like, "Honey." You know, desire's a lot more than looking at your penis hard. It you know <laughs> I like think you know, they'd like to think that that's what turns women on and it does to an extent, but that's not the only thing. And then that's why they send dick pics all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's hilarious. Um, it, it, it's sort of, you know, trying to get that through to them. And I didn't succeed in many, many times. I just couldn't they just couldn't conceive of it. That but how can I have sex if I'm not erect? And it was like, well, you can experience desire and lust um, by giving her pleasure. But if I experience desire and lust and I don't get an erection from that, then that's going to stop my desire because I'm not functioning. You know, all this whole, I mean, I'd hate to be a man. They talk about women having penis envy. No, thank you.
0: Yeah. Oh, I know. It's a lot of pressure, I think, sometimes.
2: Yes. All the time for on men. And I can see why. I mean, we're going to end up with so many problems with Viagra, you know, because, I mean, all of my sex therapist friends say that, you know, it's a blessing and it's a curse because often what you get is is if the guy, you know, nature's very kind. So as he's losing his erection, it's not becoming as hard. She's becoming more sensitive, drier, less elastic. And it and it goes together, right? Because mm-hmm. you then put a, a rock hard, you know, rock star penis with an <laughs> aging vagina and there's nothing invented for us then often you get it's a disaster it hurts and you know the men suddenly I'm talking about with couples who don't communicate very well then suddenly the guy's like well I'm really happy now because I've got my penis back and I want to go and use it if you're not going to let me use it on you well then maybe I'll look elsewhere it can cause all sorts of problems. One thing that I
1: noticed about those um, performance enhancing uh, male products is that My husband in particular, when he, you know, feels like he needs to use something like that, he becomes nasty the next day or hours later. It does something to his brain like testosterone. It's almost like roid rages. I'm almost to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'd rather not like just don't even go there.
2: And what happens with my husband, he's going to kill me for saying, admitting that he uses it, is he gets so hot, he gets a bright red head as he puts it, (laughs) he gets really hot. And then he he sort of, he he kind of looks weird. It looks like it makes everything. (laughs) (laughs) And then he just gets really sleepy afterward. And it's like, oh, great. Well, that was worth it then. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh poor phil our engineer he's not he's not commenting because he's on mute here but this is one big poor phil episode um and we always have to apologize to him for the things he hears from us um what 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 one of the we have um we have a segment on our show called Dear Danielle and people write in asking questions. And one of the questions someone asked was, um, what do you do if you and your partner's kink is different? Like what if one person likes it a little kinkier than the other? How
2: do you deal with that? Gosh, you try and find a compromise in there. And um, and they usually, I mean, unless it's a, an extreme, I mean, it's difficult really, because if you have, you know, a kink, say, say you're really into BDSM, and your partner's just not into it at all, um, it can be very, very difficult, and it does cause a lot of problems with people. But, but most of the time, if the person without the kink is willing to um, indulge a little bit. Most of the time, you can meet halfway, or perhaps that person indulges the king watching porn, or you know, in some other kind of you know greed on on way. But it is it is quite difficult. But usually, there's some kind of compromise there. Like even if you say your partner's really into BDSM in a in a you know in a extreme way and you're not it's the few people won't play a tie-up game or you know something like that but sometimes what can happen is if what if you do find that compromise it can feel like not that great for either of you that's the other problem with that in that you know the person who's not into the kink is just dreading those sessions and the person who is into the kink is thinking well this isn't really extreme enough for me so I'm not enjoying it either um, and then you have to have another conversation about well, how you know, can you enjoy sex without it, you know, is our sex ever going to be gratifying? And then, you know, come up with an option of maybe, you know, exploring it elsewhere or maybe you're with the wrong person. It kind of depends on how how much the difference is between the two of you and how willing you are to compromise and how satisfied you are with that. I think that's what's so
0: that's kind of interesting about dating these days is You know, this didn't exist when we first started dating, but what's interesting now is watching these like dating sites, like uh, Hinge and Bumble and Tinder and all these dating sites, they will upfront say what they're into. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I think that that's really good because a lot of times people are not really comfortable discussing what they're into in the beginning. So it's kind of like a fright when you're in, in the bedroom with them and they're all of a sudden
1: cracking
2: out the whips, but <laughs> I used to so, have to go into
1: the classified ads into the newspaper for those things.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> I know, and I, I do. Yeah, I find that a bit like, wow, is that what people do these days? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing, right? It's got to be a really good thing because then you are, if you're upfront about it before you've even met the person, then yeah, it's not like. I mean, I do feel terribly sorry for people who who hide their kinks and then they, you know, they try really, really hard to repress them and then they surface later in life, they've already got, you know, married with kids and then suddenly come out and then they're left in an awful position of like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. And well, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, repress it any longer. And it's really sad. And hopefully that isn't happening as much um, these days, because in the younger world, you know, uh, people are way more upfront. And I think that's a really healthy way to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think
0: it's it's important
2: to be, you know, just upfront about it.
0: Another question we got was What do you recommend for women to help maintain their sex drive as they age?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, number one, have regular sex. Um, number two, keep doing fun things in life, like live life. That's going to keep your libido nice and, and sort of, you know, and, and stay healthy. Exercise. Exercise is incredibly important with age-proofing your libido because it's all about blood flow. And this is the problem later on. It's not just hormones. It's the the hormones affecting the blood flow that causes the problem. Um, And also just constantly, constantly look for new things, new challenges. It's all about moving forward, moving forward, not just doing the same old thing. Because if you just keep doing the same old thing and you imagine, you know, especially if you stay with the the same person, it's, you know, sex becomes boring as you, you know, long-term for most people at some point. But if you don't change your sexual repertoire up, um, you know, you just got no, no, no so it's all about just trying, you know, really people hate it when I say schedule sex, but when I say schedule sex I mean schedule sex and make sure that you you both come up with something new to try like take a turn say right your turn you've got to come up with something new that we're going to try this week now it might not be it's not that you have to have sex at 10 o'clock on a saturday but you know keep keep, keep the momentum going keep make it as part of your things we need to do list and i thought that sounds so unpassionate but it actually works the more sex you have the less you're likely to forget about it. And this is what happens with couples is that they stop having sex and then you forget how really good it can be. And then you have sex and you're like, wow, I'd forgotten how great that was. So you've got the momentum going. Yeah, use it
0: or lose it, kids.
1: Yeah, I love that you talked about scheduling sex in your book because my husband always says to me, can you fit me in for an appointment? (laughs) And I thought- I don't find that. I find that sexy. I think, you know what, at least he's acknowledging that I have an insane amount of things to do in my day. And he's just saying, you know, like, I'm trying to uh, be considerate. And, but I still, I still want to get with you on this. So, you know, and, and he doesn't, he doesn't find offense to it either. Like, can you, can you fit me in? I'm like, yes, actually, let's, uh, you know, as soon as we get my son to school, I'll meet you in the bedroom.
2: Yeah, I think that's perfect. See, I, I've never had a problem with stuff like that. Maybe it's because I'm such an organised control freak. I think maybe I'll try and organise sex the same way I organise everything else. But it does <laughs> work. <laughs> it really does work. And, well, I mean, it doesn't work if you're just going to have the same sex every single time you suggest that. but And, you know, it, it is it's nice to have something to look forward to. I mean, everyone makes a big deal about spontaneous sex. Well, you know, you girls have back me up on this and that spontaneous sex dies in, in long-term relationships very early on. You have to create desire. You have to make that happen. You know, that I, nothing gets me more upset when I see these, you know, movies or TV shows and you've got like couples who've been together, you know, 30 years and they just wake up on a Sunday and just look at each other. And suddenly they're having frantic sex against, you know, the, on the floor and it's like that no that you might end up doing that but it's usually something that's inspired that you don't just get up and look at each other and that's it you that's what <laughs> beginning.
1: that part of your book had me in stitches laughing when you said that you're yelling at the television going
2: that just does
1: not happen
2: I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Haven't had any yes I know just <laughs> most people
0: have their kids screaming in the background, the dogs are barking and they need to get out.
2: But have you noticed sex on television? Literally, they will, they'll go from not even thinking about sex to penetrative sex within about 30 seconds. Yeah, totally. <laughs> really? Does this happen? And also you think post video that doesn't happen. You, you need lube, you need to prepare yourself, you need all sorts of stuff. And it's just, it just makes me so angry because then people look at that and they think, oh wow. You know, I can't do that anymore. And then, then you know, people go, well, wow, that's, that's obviously something wrong with me. And then they start avoiding sex. Then they're like, wow, so that must be how everybody has sex. It's not. So right. I hope that, you know, the book normalizes sex for people, that it, you know, it is something sometimes that you want to plan when you, you know, if you need to, you know, I mean, it's the other thing I think is that we need to take responsibility for arousing ourselves. We'd be very good at letting our partners do it and like, well, you've got to put me in the mood for sex. Well, you can put yourself in the mood for sex by, you know, reading a sexy book, watching something sexy, you know, trying a sex toy so that you're starting off sex warm, not cold. And I think that's something that you need to think about when you're older as well. Which brings me
0: to... um... And another question. So you have a line of um, sex toys. Mm-hmm. We have a, another section called Barb's bag of tricks that we always talk about. <laughs> yeah. And Barb usually pulls out, um, you know, a lot of beauty products, uh, you know, tips and tricks on how to stay youthful. But she also pulls out a lot of hell of a lot of sex toys. <laughs> so Barb's got a very healthy sex life. Over
1: well, there. like you, Tracy, I'm a Scorpio. And actually, it's very funny, because I, I've been a researcher of astrology for since i'm eight years old and yeah. i said to myself when i was reading your book and and your bio i said oh she has to be a scorpio and then i see your november 1st and i'm like i knew it
2: <laughs> it is true god you're making me really nostalgic now for all that really really strong libido i used to have when i was younger but sometimes i i sometimes i'm quite pleased that it's not as bad because it can get you in trouble
1: 100 yeah without yeah. a
2: doubt Going back to the sex toys was quite interesting um, when they asked me to do that line of sex toys because it was really funny actually because they said, well, you know, yeah, I want to create the best vibrator in the world. And that's when you get such a shock when you actually have to go into it because the ones that look really beautiful. They don't carry the vibration well. This is back in the day, and it was like, oh, there's a reason why those old black, horrible plastic things everyone had rattling around in their drawers work. <laughs> carry the vibration. Those lovely pebble ones, it's really hard to get the vibration right. But I had to sit there with this designer, and every t- and I'd say, right, it's going to look like this every single time. He just drew a phallic-shaped vibrator. And I was like, no, this isn't going... It's not an internal vibrator. It's outside, and it's still... Everything I suggest, I could say it looked like a peach and he would still draw something that looked like a banana. (laughs) So I was, you know, I was lucky. That was about 15 years ago when I did the range and and it was just at the time when women were starting to design sex toys and wow, hasn't it made a difference? Without
1: a doubt. I'm I'm actually excited to go into your shop. I'm, uh, after your book, I'm going right into your sex toy toy shop.
2: And I'll send some to you.
1: Oh, I'd love for you to do that. And we will talk about them on the show.
2: Oh, maybe we should do like a
0: a giveaway of one of her sex toys or her book actually on the show. Tracy, you were meant to be a sex therapist or a porn star without name, Tracy Cox. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times.
2: The amount of people who say, you know, what's your real name? It's like, oh, look, I really would probably would have made up something a lot different um put name, but um but it kind of makes people remember you doesn't it but tracy uh. i'm walking with. i sound like i came in a brown paper bag like tracy, <laughs> tracy okay. cox yeah. uh,
0: tracy what so uh, out of all the sex toys out there should every woman have a vibrator
2: yes i don't know how okay. people function without vibrators i don't mean you know, i had my first orgasm with a vibrator and I, it's still by far the most effective, easy way for women to orgasm. And particularly if you're going through a period where your husband's away or doesn't want sex, It, it you know, it keeps you, that's what keeps your libido going as well. But to answer that other question is regular masturbation. The more orgasms you have, the more your body goes, hang on a minute, something's missing, you know, take yourself off and give yourself an orgasm. So masturbating regularly, and the easiest way of course is with the vibrator. I mean, it's incredibly difficult not to orgasm using a vibrator. So uh, my favorite vibrator I'd say, for, which is the best, but it's probably not the cheapest, but is a wand vibrator because they are really strong or really slow and sensitive depending on what you like. They're Used externally, and of course, all orgasms originate from the clitoris anyway. And they're also great because they're really powerful, but also they don't look like a vibrator. So, if you are somewhere where you've got kids, your kids couldn't, I mean, they'll just think it's a big microphone. Um, or a microphone. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and oh, you can god. Actually use them to massage your back, so you can kind of get yourself out of a few situations with that. Men don't be <laughs> threatening because they don't look phallic. And they're just a really good um, – that's the one I would recommend the most, I think, out of all of them. What do you think?
0: Vibrators? Yeah. Um, No, I think, uh, Barb, you got me a little one that was great because that one was real portable. You can take it with you. It does
1: the job. Um, I I think as long as it's got – obviously, for women, it's got to have some sort of – you know, be designed to work for the clitoris. And I – you know, there's a bunch lately that are – super like these the the new lilo one the aura and i featured it on our show i hadn't used it yet and i'm thinking i you know it's a little too much work um i think that um is that the one that
0: does like um oral sex
1: that simulates oral sex that new one i i didn't find it to be that great i like a rabbit you know it's kind of does it's it does what it's supposed to do and it it makes everybody happy so um you know and
2: and the womanizer the suction one
1: yeah I haven't tried that yet no there's a new one by Lilo it's called Aura yeah O-R-A and it kind of just moves around like it it simulates a tongue Mm -hmm. and um I get in concept it sounded great but it's round and it has like a handle and it it's just I don't know I'm not I'm not finding it that it works for me I'm I'm just thinking it's more work than using my own hand
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) good strong vibration you're not going to beat it and there's a reason why rabbits you know survive so well is that you know those little ears but most people do you use do you use it to penetratively or do you just turn it around and use the ears
1: um either one um you know it m- m- has lots of functions i always make sure they're waterproof though because um i'm a bath girl so i need to i need to have my time in the bathtub yeah
0: barb you are giving away our secrets
2: in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> giving away everything on this show um, this, really are yeah so yeah it's a bit, isn't it wonderful that we have sex toys but i strongly i don't understand i mean when that's the other thing when i was writing the book i was talking to these women I, who i was I, I looked at them like they were aliens? I had never tried a vibrator. Had no interest in trying a vibrator. I was a bit like, why?
1: That is just so sad to me. It's so I, funny. My I, this reminds me of a, a a friend of mine. Her mother, um, she said to my girlfriend, she goes, you know, I never realized how much I needed a shower massage. And she said to my girlfriend, "She goes, you know, you really should try it." And I started laughing. I'm like thinking, our mothers, their vibrators were like the handheld shower That's
2: massagers bad. or the, you know, <laughs> electric <laughs> toothbrushes.
0: Oh, I don't even want to think about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they did, or they uh, on the washing machine and do exactly. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I always say if I go up to heaven, God knows I'm not going to get there, am I? Doing what I do, but if I did, and there were no bibles, no, you're definitely doing God's work, Tracy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I I have one last question for you from one of our listeners. They asked, "How do I have more sex drive post menopause?" Um,
2: have more sex number one you, consider yeah. um, testosterone it didn't I didn't like it because it may be you know you talked about with your husband with the um, Viagra so it, I didn't like it but it, it absolutely does work on if you're low in testosterone but generally it's kind of like force yourself to think sexually often what happens is if your sex drive goes down you don't notice sex as much when you think back to when you had really strong sex drive you'd see sex everywhere wouldn't you? You'd, you'd be checking out this person, and you'd be you'd be just noticing it everywhere. And I yeah. think when your sex drive dips, you have to sort of make yourself think about sex. Make yourself, you know, read a great book and watch something sexy. And you know, it's surprising how you know. I'll say I've got to, you know, I don't really feel like sex, having a low week or something, and then I'll watch some porn or something, and suddenly it's back in an instant. So it's all about, mm. it is all a big mindset. You've got to, got to play a bit of a game with yourself. So, so I would say keep yourself sexual. Keep focusing on sexual things. Don't ignore them. Keep focusing on them. And the other reason why people ignore it is because they start to feel guilty about having a low sex drive. So you don't want to be reminded of sex. Mm. So that's the other reason mm-hmm. why you look away. So you've got to sort of almost force yourself to be sexual. I'll tell you what I would, would recommend to that person though is have you read um, Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are? No, but you, I, I, it's on my list after reading your book. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of hers. And I think she, that book, it's hard going. It's not an easy read. Um it's been, it's, it's interesting to read, but I mean, it's not, a, it's not a light book, but she just challenges so many things like about, you know, I still talk about sex drive and I feel a bit guilty because she says there is no such thing as a sex drive. It's all to do with, you know, diff- having different ducks in a row, basically, especially for women. Um, so, but I disagree with her actually, because I think you do have a, I mean, I, my sex drive, was, my drive for sex was very strong. I think I had the male spontaneous sex drive where I would feel like sex for no reason at all. But apparently only about 25, 30% of women have that, which I found interesting as well, because I would have thought that was higher. What's been interesting for me is that
0: my sex drive has actually increased as Next. I've gotten older. I was not as interested when I was younger, which is kind of a waste because wow, what a body I had and how I looked. But, but, but now okay, that I'm older, I'm a lot more sexual. Yeah. Well, it might be
1: because of Outlander.
0: That's what it definitely is. That's what I always say. I always say this to my girlfriends when they say they have no sex drive. I'm like, really? So if Brad Pitt walked in the room naked, you wouldn't be attracted. You wouldn't want to, you yeah. you wouldn't want to jump him. Come on. Come on, girls. I it's want it's all that- mental.
1: I found that so interesting in your book, though, Tracy, how much of it is mental, even menopause symptoms, you Mm. when you talk about that, and how, you know, different countries and cultures attitude about it changes the way we respond to it. And although there is obviously physical um, component to it, because of hormone levels dropping and stuff, Mm. I, I think it's incredible, even sex drive, it's it's so much of it is mental.
2: Oh, completely, and also, I mean, it's weird. I mean, you imagine our parents having a discussion like this on a on a podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, no. no thanks. Well,
1: actually, you know, it's so funny. My mother, I'm one of seven children, and my mother was um must have had. I must have inherited her sex drive, um, mm-hmm. because she. I mean, she would knock on the door when she was, you know third divorce and ready to go out and she'd my sisters would be getting ready to go out and she'd say uh excuse me girls um you're not the only one that wants to get laid let me in the bathroom and I thought wow I definitely have a very modern mom yeah, um but
2: I'm really cool as well like that with sex my mom had her first orgasm at like 45 Wow. Yeah, my dad who cheated was the worst at sex apparently. And my mum ended up you know, <laughs> this German guy. And she honest to God, she'd insist on telling me. And then we did this, darling, and then we did that. And I was like, my hairs was I thought I have not done half of the stuff she was doing. <laughs> I was very impressed. I love that. Very impressed. But um wow. yeah, it's good that we are we are, you know, so much more open. But I still think there is a stigma around menopause. I still think there is a stigma around talking about, you know, things like painful sex or things like that, I think people just don't talk about it. And the That's more true. we talk about it, the more we normalise it, the more people will go, oh, okay, right, so other people are, are having this issue as well. And you feel less like, God, I'm, you know, not as hot as I was when I was young because I've got this, you know, problem with penetration or deep penetration, which I do, I, I still have a problem with it, despite the HRT and the and the pessaries. I've got to be really careful And um, and it is a bit annoying, but it's like, oh, for God's sake, just do different things and do try different angles. And so there's always a solution. There is always a solution.
1: But is talking about menopause to your partner sexy? I mean, because that's not something my husband and I really have had a conversation about. I don't even know if he knows what menopause is.
2: I sort of bore my husband with it, but he has to because of what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I, yeah, you can see he he I'm good at in fact I'm probably too good at pointing out all the aging things. And he doesn't. He he I say, Well, how do you feel, you know, about your erections not being as strong as I don't want to talk about that? So <laughs> I talk about it.
0: is your husband you the same age as you?
2: He's four years younger.
0: Oh, good for you, okay so
2: not very I used to go out with very young men actually. Um, so well, I
0: have a know? lot of friends that are doing that that right. are coming out of marriages and dating younger guys and refusing to go back to older men
2: yeah why not why would you <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice actually dating somebody my own age for change because four years is nothing and um, yeah. and it is quite nice it's like yeah I was ready for it by then I was a bit sick of the I think, I, I think it's quite stressful not stressful because I think young guys are fun but as you get well I'm nearly 60 now and oh wow and I you don't went,
0: look it at it all you look incredible
2: oh well thank you but i do i don't know if i'd like to be i i'm quite cool with aging i don't i mean i do the injectables and stuff like that but not anything else not pretty, so do we like Same. and stuff like that and um but i don't want to do anything else i'm quite happy with that but i don't know whether i'd like to get up next to some 30 year old looking the way i look you know i'm just quite happy that. and also you're what you want to do in life's different and miles is you know happy to i don't want to do the same things i did when i was 30 so it's quite nice to be with someone your own age i think when you get older i think it's great when you're younger but when you get older and really want to settle down i think that it's quite nice
1: well i wouldn't want to have a relationship with a younger person but i wouldn't mind having sex with a younger (laughs) person
2: (laughs) yeah i mean some people manage really well some people it just works and i mean for god's sake it works the other way around you know for lots of men doesn't it going out with exactly people. so there's yep. no reason apart from children where it where it doesn't work but i do think at a at extreme ends i think particularly when you get a bit older post maybe 60 i reckon you probably want to be with somebody more your own age i don't know i mean some people don't i'm just speaking for myself really
1: no, I do have I do have several friends that married much older and I watched it with my mother. She always dated men, you know, fifteen to twenty years older and at some point they're ready to sit down and watch television and yeah. you're ready to go and it doesn't it's the, the yeah. compatibility kind of wanes.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think in that middle bit it doesn't really matter in your life. But then as I, as you get, you know, when you're really young or really old, I think it does start to God almighty, I'm depressing myself now. I'm thinking about, are you slow, Dad? <laughs> <I'm,
1: laughs> Let's I'm not excited, go there. <laughs> I'm excited for
2: your next book, uh, Sex is
1: Best at 60, because, you know, then we'll be upon that and um, we'll be ready
2: for that book. I know. And then I was thinking, like, when do I write the next book? I reckon it's probably 70. Because I think <laughs> 50, 60 is probably going to be about the same. But I reckon probably post-70, you looking at it a whole different thing. But there's a woman called... Um, I've forgotten her last name now, Joan. I've forgotten her last name. I mentioned her in the book. She she covers that really well. I wish I could remember her name. Anyway, if you look up Joan and put in older sex, she will pop up. And she does great books for over 70-year-olds. So maybe she's already covered Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. So
0: interesting. Okay, well, what's the biggest misconception about
2: sex? Sex after 50? I mean, I started off in the book talking about how that, the young, you know, like youth is wasted on the young. And I think we have this conception that young sex is better sex. Young sex is loads of fun, but older sex isn't necessarily, you know, it's not, you know, inferior to it. It's just different sex. So I think that we need to stop thinking of sex as intercourse. That's the biggest misconception about sex. And that's, it just never goes away. I've been writing about sex for 30 years and it never goes away. The minute you think of sex, people think of intercourse. And I think Mm. that is, I wish... Uh, if if anything else changed about sex, I wish we could move away from that because I think that sex would be so much better for women if we could do that. Barb, should we ask our question? Absolutely, go for it.
0: So we like to ask every guest, what do you love best about yourself?
2: What I love best about myself?
0: I think I can answer that for you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not scared of challenging things. So I think I've got I'm quite plucky. I'm quite courageous about things. So I'm not Ooh. scared to sort of stand up there and and sort of say something that possibly is a little bit out there. Which I oh I love that. I didn't used to be like that, but now I'm I'm not scared to put my head above the parapet. That's probably the best way of putting it. So no, I'm I like that about myself, and I've got better as I've got older. Yes, love that. What were you yeah, going to say? Awesome.
0: I, I was going to say that you, what you love best about yourself is how much you love yourself <laughs> sexually. Which is
2: great. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, all right. Well, um, Barb, do you have any other questions for Tracy?
1: Actually, there was one other question I had for you, but I don't know if it's going back. But for females, have you researched or do you know anything about Or what are your beliefs in like the PRPM for the clitoris and the vagina or any of like the lasers for, um, you know, tightening the vagina? Do you have any feelings about them?
2: Interestingly, um, the guy that does my Botox actually does all that. And I wanted to put it in the book. And I got challenged by the, I put a whole bit of it in the book and I got challenged by... The lawyers who said, Listen, you know, we're not so sure about this because, the, you know, you, they, you've you got to be so careful about claims with it. Right. But anecdotally, um, I have heard very good things about it, but I think you really need to look into whether there is anything in it. I think some of the things work and some things don't. I'm trying to think, She I think, is that the name of it? Yeah, that's one of them. Yeah, I think that gets quite a good rep. And I know people who've had that who found it really good actually. But I don't know enough about it to comment further. Where I know that there's a lot of them claiming to do a lot of things and there's not too much data to back it up at this point. But right. I know that the medical community are very slow to approve things like this. So, And it's hard to do research on, it, I think, for people because, you know, there never seems to be enough money put into that area. But there's certainly the market for it. Definitely look into it before you spend. It's very expensive as well.
1: Some of it is. Yeah. We have a we, we spoke with a doctor on one of our episodes and I'm actually a patient of hers and Dr. Rahi, and she is a, a huge proponent of some of these um, procedures and she's had really great feedback from some of her patients, but oh, I haven't ventured into any of them yet. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on them. So I'm glad I asked.
2: Yeah, I haven't ventured into them, but I'd like to try it. But I actually had um, really bad cervical cancer at one point, and the one treatment I was going to get, they weren't, they did have, they didn't have any evidence whether or not it might spark it back up again, and I was a bit too nervous to try it. But I would yeah. if I could. But yeah, yeah. why not? I,
1: that's exactly right. That's how I feel.
0: One other thing occurred to me, I was listening to your interview, I don't remember which interview it was, you were talking about erectile dysfunction, and you were saying that one of the things you could do is in the morning, when you wake up next to your significant other, um, to check if he has morning wood.
2: Yeah, because that's a very, um, very easy way to decide whether or not the problem is psychological, or whether it's a physical problem. Because generally, if, if he's not um, getting an erection in the morning, it is a blood flow problem, which is fixed by Viagra and you know, getting more exercise and stuff like that as well. So that is one way to tell. It's not completely foolproof, but um, it is one way to tell whether or not it's, a, it's an issue with, you know, performance anxiety or things like that, or whether it is actually a blood flow problem. So, yes, whip the covers up yeah. and have a look. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it <laughs> thank you tracy thank
0: you tracy so much this has been so much fun oh absolutely i thoroughly enjoyed it i
2: just wish i was there in person
0: Damn. i know us too this is horrible I, I it's so much nicer when we can all be in person yeah. so what next time we're barb and i are in um england we'll have to come visit you
1: oh yes do come that'd be great 100 percent. we can't wait to go back overseas
0: Tracy, could you give everybody your website information? Tell us your title of your book again and your socials.
2: Uh, So the title is Great Sex Starts at 50. It's on um, pretty much anywhere you get good books from. My um, website is Tracy with an E. So it's T-R-A-C-E-Y-C-O-X.com. My Instagram is Tracy Cox, sex author, My um, Facebook is Tracy Cox Sexpert and my Twitter is just Tracy Cox, but it's T-R-A-C-E-Y because sometimes people say I can't find you. It's just because they haven't put the E in.
0: Thank you, Tracy, so much for doing our show. We so enjoyed our conversation with you. What a blast. Uh, Can't wait to have you on again. Remember, if you have any questions or products that you want us to review or topics that you want us to talk about, please hit us up on our socials, Honest AF Show, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and honestafshow.com is our website. We love hearing from you, and we love all your suggestions, so please keep those coming. Stay safe and take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Do not blame us for any of your issues. We're just experimenting too.